also when you look at what we're wearing as well on a general basis, I mean, all my jeans now are all stretch jeans. So when you get to work, if you're wearing a uniform, you want the same level of comfort and the same feel. But I think buying influences are changing uh, the workwear industry. The Uniformer. Insights and interviews into the people and companies that drive the markets for uniforms, image apparel, and public safety equipment. The Uniformer is a production of the Network Association of Uniform Manufacturers and Distributors, the NAUMD. Hello, welcome to The Uniformer. I am Rick Levine, Executive Director of the NAUMD, and I am very pleased today to be sitting and talking with Andrew Ashcroft. Andrew is the International Business Development Manager for Carrington Textiles, and uh, I'm going to let him tell us uh, what all of that means, because I have a, a good idea, but not a perfect one, Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the podcast, by the way. Thank you, Rick. Good to be here. So what, what is your role at Carrington? What is the distinction? Uh, explain it to me like I'm five. The distinctions you know, between an international business development manager and a sales you know, position, because I know there's a nuanced difference there. So, you know, what do you do throughout the year or what is your day like kind of thing? Yeah, well, I'm lucky enough to be in this position now for just over a year. Uh, In fact, last week I was celebrating my one year anniversary uh, and it's been a whirlwind of experiences. The job has been, I was, uh, the brief I was given by uh, Paul Farrell, my uh, sales director, was to keep out of the existing business and look to the future for Carrington, uh, where we can go, the products, look for new relationships within the United States and Middle East, and also build on the relationships that I, I have in those con- uh, in those regions already. So it's a, an exciting time, and we uh, the first thing was to plot out those landscapes of uh, each one of those regions and then update them and there has been quite a bit of updating to do with a a number of uh, acquisitions and other global events that have changed things in the industry so that was my first part of the job Um, and present that to the organization and let them know that these are the landscapes that we're uh, now dealing with and who we're going to deal with first and uh, and how we'd like to do with uh, deal with those. So yeah, that was the first interesting part of my job. The next is to figure out how we're going to do that. And organisations like yourself have been extreme uh, within AUMD have been extremely useful to do that with. Um, we kicked off our US uh, adventure in I believe it was May last year. Yeah, May in in Washington. So it yeah. was an exciting trip. And that gave us the foundation to be able to kick on for the rest of the year. And and again, that uh, influenced my job and the way we were going to look at the business and the timelines of approaching people, looking at specific products that were we were being guided to, to look at by those organizations we've spoken to at that event and subsequent events such as NSC. Nice. The, so, uh, yeah, it's planning our route for the next two years, five years, ten years, 
and uh, looking at those relationships that want to uh, to deal with us and would like to develop things with us. So, I mean, so you're a year into a 130-year-old company, though. So uh, for those that aren't aware already, give us like the 30-second, the though, of what are the types of textiles that Carrington is producing? Um, and because I know it's this huge range, and therefore that is interesting that you um, showed up and you're listening then to specific markets and then likely Andrew explaining, okay, we're having pain with, you know, these polys or these, you know, um, FR items. And, you know, is that kind of how it happens? Yeah. Well, we've obviously got our core business and that's uh, the, uh, the supply of uh, polyester cotton fabrics in different weights and then we move on to cottons and we're but we're also we've been very influenced recently by sustainable fabrics and the the regulations that uh, companies are being put under so that's uh, an important part of our business is to bring those new the regulations that are changing and influencing our business to clients as well um but uh yeah Primarily, the company is a specialist in polycottons, but also in treated FR fabrics. I understand that we were one of the first to start producing treated FR, and we've perfected the manufacture of those um, those fabrics in different weights, in different colours. Um, we look to uh, uh, to do in inherent ranges as well now over the next few years and as well with producing some of those products in a stretch format so the company just keeps innovating and it's terrific because we have the ability in-house to be able to to keep updating those fabrics and the the, the maybe similar blends but we're adding things to them and and because we're a 130-year-old company and we've got a great reputation and we deal with large organisations that supply garments to the healthcare industry, um, to hospitality and utility businesses, we're always approached by new fibre companies that bring their products to us and say, could this be of use to your clients? Uh, it has this product it has these advantages um what do you think could this fit into it does it meet the could it be uh could we blend it to give a better performance in certain fabrics so we're always trying to develop those products and that's a good thing for our organization but also for our clients the clients in the middle east and north america to my naive brain <laughs> you know seems so drastically different you know the climate is you know the geography um the the cultures of these large organizations you know how they operate obviously we share the oil and gas industry in a major way right the us you know is heavily involved of course in in our own oil and gas and the middle east is renowned for it so as an example of fr needs you know that certainly sticks out but I'm curious, you know, uh, I know, I believe you have a background in the Middle East, so that probably influenced um, those or regions being paired for you. 
Um, but, you know, why not also, you know, uh, Asia and, um, you know, South America and, you know, and other places? I'm curious. Yeah, the, the, the Middle East is closely linked to the US. It's been a drastic change over the last 30 years. And it, it's born on a culture of uh, we can, everything is possible. In, in the Middle East, and that's that's what ha- happened in the U.S. as well. The cities came out of the desert, just like the U.S. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it's um, "build it and they will come" was a phrase that uh, I believe Sheikh Mohammed in in Dubai used many times, and uh, that was heavily influenced on on how you can link the world and grow things quite rapidly so when you look at the specification and the standards that, that have been implemented in the middle east they're very closely tied with the us especially in the oil and gas um there was obviously a lot of american companies that uh, were involved with the growth of that industry in the middle east and that's that served as a and they're still involved with those uh with the production of oil in the in the region so that's heavily influenced on there but electrical utility safety standards it's uh yeah they always look to the u.s and uh, they're educated in the u.s as well so uh i've and the companies i've worked for have been primarily u.s companies um that have set up or wanted to set up satellite companies in the in the Middle East to grow their business. I love the concept that you're saying it back to me is that, well, there, there's more in common than there is different uh, when it comes to the workwear industry, if you will. So we we have the same challenges we face as 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 humans working certain occupations and needing protection that is irrelevant of geography. It's the same because we're dealing with the same uh, pain points, the same problems. And I find that uh, very interesting. Uh, and 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 I know one example um, uh, that I think you've pointed out to me before is plastics, right? And the PFAS, right? Am I saying PFAS uh, issues that go along with, with the industry and and I know that in many ways, the U.S. can be a decade behind Europe um, when it comes to certain regulations and um, driving forward um, perhaps sustainability and recycling and circularity topics or issues. But we're not we're quickly on the heels uh, and we're just such a large market with so many um, workers. So what's your take on any of the random things I'm throwing at you? (laughs) (laughs) The regulation is, um, is a huge part of our business and we have to be up with it all the time. Uh, You know, I mean, I don't want to go into the chemicals of, of, uh, of PFAS, but lifetime chemicals are, um, are a problem, not just in our industry, but in, in, you know, in lots of industries. So we're, we're trying to work with companies that are developing the alternatives to these forever chemicals, uh, ones that just wash away into the water system or pollute the skin, um, you know, that cause irritation. 
and uh, you know that that make your manufacturing unsustainable really um and, and polluting uh it's a it's a huge concern for uh, our industry we have experts that are in our company that are working on this all the time the capabilities of what we've been able to do are changing because of the regulations but we are adapting very well in our company we, i think we've got procedures uh, to be able to do that sustainable fabrics as i've said are extremely important to the future of our business um, i think we're a, a leader in that we've learned to build very good relationships with uh, companies uh, such as that, that produce cclo reprieve and we're, we spend a lot of time looking to the future and making sure that any regulations that are coming up were prepared for so that will eliminate any of the pains that these large organizations that want to supply garments to the end users or their clients um, that, that meet those regulations are, are, uh, are, are going to be the next generation uh, that are going to serve the next generation that are wearing these products. Do we find that uh, as you're traveling the world, which you know fascinates me that you're talking to manufacturers from so many different parts of the world, and we're pointing out, you know, kind of the chemical PFAS as one example of, you know, the pain that manufacturers share in common and think about. And, you know, do you notice other types of what, what do you what do you hear from manufacturers these days? What what what's driving them to innovate? Um, uh, is it solely, you know, sustainability? Um, uh, I know that actually stretch has, you know, still become uh, or is still a forming issue for many solving many um, problems in uh, the workforce. Uh, public safety, you know, as an example of continuing to figure out where we can stretch <laughs> uh, as part of our job, uh, improving our performance and our comfort and our um, safety. So I know that's a rather broad question, but I'm fascinated because you talk to so many manufacturers from so many different parts of the world. I'm wondering if um, there's uh, pain points out there right now, or what do they talk about their, you know, three-year um, concept of where they'd like to see themselves in the next few years? Buying influences are, are just our general buying influences are, are, are playing a major part in our industry. For instance, um, the buying online having things delivered people have got to deliver them they've got to be you know they're uh, they're in and out of the delivery truck guys are in and out of trucks or you know the the people that do that job uh, they need to be uh, they need to be comfortable they need to have a product they can move with that doesn't give them rashes uh, that help aids them and we've seen with the use of looking at the body mechanics um, and the way merchandisers are, are producing the garments to help the clients feel more comfortable in these activities. Yes, the stretch is, is something that uh, in the fabrics is what they're looking for. And, but also when you look at what we're wearing as well on a general basis, I mean, all my jeans now are all stretch jeans. 
uh, I must say I do have a few older jeans, but I don't particularly like wearing them anymore because they don't stretch. So when you get to work and if you're wearing a uniform, you want the same level of comfort and the same feel. So that's a, I think buying influences are changing uh, the workwear industry, uh, workwear fabric industry and what we need to buy, but also um, the health industry and the an aging population is also influencing our were volumes may be found and again uh, there are a lot more care workers a lot more nurses doctors and they all want to feel comfortable as work at work as well so they're at home wearing comfortable stretchy clothes at work they want the same sort of thing and it seems to be a very important part of of where we're going uh, of course, there's a balance then because you've got to try and blend something together <laughs> that's going to be um, that's going to do those tick all the boxes that you want in comfort, but then is also going to be very durable. So we're, we're yeah we're heading in that direction. You're looking at employment data as much as the manufacturers looking at employment data in order to determine your future. It sounds like. Absolutely, yeah. You know the the figures um, and the analysis is being done. You know, there's lots of clever people out there looking at um, how the industries are going to perform, and the governments the governments are looking at it as well, so they can prepare for those industries. And uh, it's vital to to keep up with those and and figure out which space you want to be in and how you can be prepared for that space when the time comes but also you know the uh supply chain has uh has influenced a lot of things over the last over the you know last three to four years and that's what we prepared ourselves for extremely well with our joint ventures in europe and and in asia and uh i think that uh looking at this the numbers the volumes what products we need i think we've now got a, a supply chain which is vertically integrated as, um, to be able to service those needs for the future i think we've planned very very well it's letting it's letting um it's letting people know we're ready for it <laughs> yeah there's it's still a mess i am told by you know c-suite people at large manufacturers it's still a mess you know, we all got spoiled over the last couple of decades, moving things around the planet basically for free whenever we felt like it. <laughs> and now uh, it's, you know, we can't get raw goods, no matter where you are in the vertical, you're struggling to get the raw goods in the right place at the right time in order to make something that the next person in the chain needs. Do you see uh, that settling down at all in the next 12 to 24 months or, you know, other than the, you know, the commercial line of, well, it's not a problem at Carrington. We've got what we need and <laughs> we can supply you. Right. Do you kind of see um, that, that, that will settle down or are we still in for a fight for the next, you know uh, the next one to three years, let's say of, of it's still all of the pieces of companies moving 
around the planet, right? We've certainly had many U.S. companies that are dialing for production, right? Do you have capacity? Do you have capacity? Do you have capacity? It's like, <laughs> so, you know, which is a good time to enter a new market if you have capacity. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm just curious if you see um, how, how will that all settle down? What I understand from our logistics department is that uh, containers are cheaper. So there must be some balancing out going there. Otherwise, um, there wouldn't be this um, panic that was that we saw for the last 24 months. Um, and it was panic. Uh, the There is obviously a lot of political issues in in certain countries that have been turned on recently. And you would hope that there's dialogue going on to settle those uh, that will keep things flowing nicely. All I can say is with uh, with confidence is that with our partners, we have capacity um, and we do have the raw materials uh, in planning to be able to move forward to supply correctly. There are certain products, or well, not products, but certain components within our manufacturing that we have to be very careful of. We are alerted to those. Our sourcing department is extremely good at preparing for them. You know, I guess 130 years of experiences uh, and that, and many generations of has prepared them for that but we have a very, extremely good team that i i feel very confident in within our circle uh and our vertical you know um integration um there's a lot of confidence that we can support that or support the business and i think we've proved that with a number of recent opportunities that we've taken to supply companies i would like to think it's all going to get back to normal but I think we've just got to be prepared for that. This is how the world is at the moment, and it may continue for for much longer. That uh, we're not as stable and we're not as it's not as reliable um, as it used to be. We've got to prepare for a bit of chaos all around. <laughs> and and certainly the war in Ukraine has affected you know uh, certainly Europe and um, Asia and you know so many things. What's I'm reminded of this, and I'm not going to remember the economist's name, but I think he wrote Freakonomics. I think I'm attributing it to the right person. But he uh, noted that no two countries that had a McDonald's uh, had ever gone to war. And I think the Ukrainian war now has has blown that one out of the water because I believe both Russia and Ukraine had uh, McDonald's franchises located in their countries. But but I don't know why I thought of that, but I guess it's a symptom of what you're saying, which is we cannot take anything for granted anymore, you know, and, and maybe that sense of that we, we got too accustomed to it being too easy. Uh, and now it's going to be hard again for a few years is what you're, you know, what you're saying is that that probably will still be there. Of course, you want to look for, you know, strong suppliers and um, uh, less risk. Uh, then you know, um, then you need to take uh, when you can. Uh, sometimes you know we're forced, uh, but um, you know the good news about our industry as opposed to others, um, you know, you didn't want to be in the fashion business when you know COVID hit, but 
um, certain parts of the uniform industry actually, you know, did very well during COVID because there was still, you know, and there was actually a surging need uh, for certain things um, during during this this period. And and many suppliers to the general apparel world were calling uniform companies then saying, well, what do you got going on? <laughs> Can we help you? <laughs> because, you know, things had dried up. Um, you certainly, you know, didn't want to be in the airline business, though, during uh, during COVID, that's for sure. You know, you talked a little bit about the apparel manufacturers and the, the technology driving them and um, how each region of the planet you know, um, is dealing with the same problems or the same issues. Is there a sense that, and maybe you've already answered this, is there a sense that our standards are going to become even more globally universal in the sense that, you know, we were talking about FR. And so, you know, there's, there's U.S. standards and there's Middle East standards and there's European standards. And, you know, you guys have this massive headache of having to um, note everything and be sure that everything's in compliance uh, all along the, the chain, all along the geography. And I'm wondering if, if, we're, if we're ever going to come to a point as we become a more global industry, uh, the workwear industry, and certainly like this year at our convention, we have more companies than ever coming from different parts of the world to meet with us and talk with us about you know, yes, they're interested in North American business, but then there's also going to be some export that happens. There's going to be things from U.S. brands that now find their way to India and Pakistan and the Middle East and, you know, and Europe uh, and other places because of these companies getting together and networking um, in, in uh, at our annual convention. So what do you think about who's going to drive this technology forward? Like we listen to our end users a lot. Um, and they drive us to make certain changes. We listen to manufacturers. We listen to, you gave the example of a fiber company coming forward and saying, hey, we developed this. Do we see there's, you know, is there an application within, you know, the markets that you touch? Where's where's innovation going to come from, Andrew? I need to know. I wish I had a crystal ball. Room. But I, again, I think it goes back to the buying influences and what we're, what we're getting, you know, what we what we want as uh, you know as people and where we want to what we want to with the workwear industry the general workwear industry i think uh, you know that's the the more activities we we are doing that replicate what we're doing at home i think that's that's pretty clear um how that one's going when it comes to the regulations I, I, I wish there was one regulation that we could all use but unfortunately i don't think that's going to happen for many years there are just so many influences and so many specifications out there that are ingrained to certain organizations that they will always be separate there are slightly slight crossovers and then in the middle east actually i saw a couple of specifications recently that gave us and european standard um and it said it could be either or and there are slight differences but they can exist together they they are just as equal with each other um but it doesn't mean that you can't improve them and certainly the organizations talk to each other i know they do 
I don't think it's a case of trying to outdo each other. I just believe that it's they have these large organisations where they're used to what they're used to doing, and they're just not ready to to you know put them all into one universal uh, standard as yet. It may be a dream uh, that you know uh, of mine to have some type of you know global universal you know, um, standard to it, you know, at some point we all agreed on time zones, I guess. <laughs> It'd be nice if, if, if it were that simple, but it's not because it's um, each region has um, historic pain that they're trying to address that they might not um, have somewhere else. You know, uh, the certain events have happened that cause certain regulations and then uh, you have to um, unspool all of that in order to have a universal. So I imagine it's challenging. I don't profess to have the answer. I was just curious. I'm always curious when people are dealing with uh, multiple uh, governments. And you know, in Europe, you're far more used to it than we are here. But it's it's fascinating to think, you know, that that we have to adapt each time. And then some are laws, and some are simply recommendations, right? So for instance, here, you know, we have a lot of, you know, ANSI, uh, ANSI, ANSI uh, compliant activities, but it's not necessarily the mm -hmm. law. They're, you know, they're, they're mostly a body of recommendations and industry has successfully said, help us, but don't, you know, force us, let us, you know, let us be self. Just add to that, Rick, the, the Technology cannot always do what we'd like it to do. You know that you know it, they're trying to uh, with certain fabrics and dyes and so on. And we certainly have you know laboratories and testing to do things, but sometimes it's just not possible. And when regulations keep changing, you, you can't produce products that uh, is just not. It, you can't implement something when a product cannot be produced. And that's the balance in that. And there's a bit of a learning process that needs to go on with that as well. But we're, um, yeah, we're influenced by by technology and also price points. There's a lot of technology that we're able to do and a lot of products we're able to produce, but they will not see the light of day because they will not fit into fit into budgets, unfortunately. Yeah, well said about what tech can and can't do. So, Andrew, I always love to end uh, by asking this question. Would you recommend this industry to your child, nieces, nephews, friends, neighbors? You know, would you recommend the uniform industry, the textile industry? You know, um, is this a is this an area of pursuit that can bring people happiness or <laughs> is it something you'd recommend for uh, young for Well, young first people? of all we do have a problem with with the amount of waste fabric in the world so we need people to come into this industry to figure out new new things there are tons and tons of thousands of tons and millions of tons of fabric that are distributed around the world every year uh, that, that end up in places they shouldn't. So we need new minds and new innovations to be able to come up with fabrics that are going to make the world cleaner. 
so yes they do need encouraging and this this should be because i mean i've traveled all over the world with this these you know in the when i've been involved with the apparel the sales of apparel or with the fabric industry i've been to some wonderful factories um met some terrific people that are innovators uh patents to their name and creators of um, a safer and uh, better product for people that are going to be wearing these in dangerous situations, wearing garments in dangerous situations. Plus, it's just a, there's so many job functions within the organisation. You're, you're not just, a, you know, the, there's logistics, customs, customer service, marketing, business development, you know, even accounts, you need you need really good accountants in this business to be able to manage supply chain. You know, as we're seeing, there's so many exciting job functions in this. And plus, you're, you're producing something. You're actually producing a product. And that's what gets me. When you get down to those factories and it's it come to if you if it come to our factory, Rick, it's, uh, it's thumping away. And it's warm and there's enormous machines. It's a wonderful place to be. And uh, yeah, it's uh, I've really enjoyed so far. I mean, I never thought I would end up in the textile industry. I, I, I was, I've been in several different industries, but here I am. And I think I'm going to be here for the rest of my uh, my career. Well said. Well said. Yeah, we we're, we're we have the potential to solve some pretty interesting world problems such as you know landfill and the amount of textiles going to it so i hear you on that one uh and and we need fresh minds that um can and want <laughs> to solve that so uh very hopeful uh, that we will get there and well it was really interesting to talk to you andrew thanks so much for being on the podcast today thank you rick it's uh great to talk to you